Welcome back again to Rhythms of Grace. My name's Nate. I'm here with Sung Kim, the lead pastor of Grace Church. And uh, we are in season four, actually. Yes. We have said that wrong a couple times. <laughs> we have. But we're actually in the middle of season four. And um, season four is about the Old Testament. Yeah. And we're kind of tackling issues of the Old Testament the same way we did with the New Testament in season three. Mm-hmm. So we've covered a couple different topics, and right this this episode is actually the second part of the episode we started last last week. Last week. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't you uh, Why don't you tell us what we're in the middle of? So we started talking about last week about uh, the charge that the Bible is sexist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we're going to continue that discussion, and um, yeah, I, I think even as we continue this discussion, I, I think just. Like just even understanding why, and especially if we focus on the Old Testament, why why do people think that uh, what instances or stories or commands or principles are there in the Old Testament that they think God is sexist? Okay. Well, I, I think even before we go into specific stories, I think we have to admit that um, while the New Testament and, and the Old Testament. Uh, really affirm women mm. that contemporary Christian culture has not has done a disservice mm-hmm. um, in promoting that that um, agenda, if I could call it that. Okay, um, because actually Jesus and Yahweh—that's a personal name of God in the Old Testament—they were actually very progressive in yeah. their view of women. Mm-hmm. Um, and the church in America, in the West, have actually been the opposite. Mm. Broad brushstroke yeah. here. Um, and so... Uh, um, and we did. We talked in the first episode um, of this two-part series a little bit more broadly about some of the general things around culture and context of the Old Testament, mm-hmm, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're coming in and this, this is the first time you're stepping in, you might want to listen to that episode first. We laid a lot of foundations, which we're just going to sort of like skip over mm-hmm, in order yep. to get, jump right into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think we can't. While the podcast, while this season is focused more on like the text and the stories of the Old Testament, I, I don't think we could ignore the cultural realities today yeah um you know whether it's you you know jesus and john wayne or other books written uh, in light of me too and other things the charge of sexism against the christian faith or let's say evangelicals um i i think just yeah i i think and that's always interesting because i mean we hear a lot of this um as in the church but um, people will say, I, I don't, uh, I don't believe in the evangelical church anymore, or I'm not evangelical anymore. Mm. And I think one thing to r- distinguish is, uh, evangelicalism as a movement that was started decades ago, kind of like fundamentalism had at its core, a theological basis, Okay, which was, uh, th- and this was true of fundamentalism, uh, you know, Bible is the final authority. Mm. Um, you know, the the reality of God saving people yeah. and his return, for example. And when we speak of, when people speak of evangelicalism today and the charge of sexism, uh, um, it's really a cultural and political mm. evangelicalism. 
So therefore, the word fundamentalism was corrupted and it became a political social movement instead of its theological origins. I see. Same with evangelicalism. Yep. It started back in the, I don't know, 1920s or something. Um, and, and so political and cultural evangelicalism, and, and we would even say this too at Grace, we're like, you know, and we have said this to people, we're not an evangelical church the way it's defined today. Mm. Because mm-hmm. the way it's defined today is it's a political and cultural right. movement that has gone way off course. And so if you were to talk about evangelicalism as a theological movement, uh, in fact, a number of Christian churches would fall under that, Mm. the global church. But as you talk about it as a political or cultural movement, you know, you have, for example, the black church who would say, no way, that's not us. And you would have other churches like Grace who would say, no, that's not us. Because what's associated with this political cultural movement is this kind of militaristic, patriarchal Mm -hmm. uh, view of church and spirituality, uh, whether you want to say white nationalism or other things too. and so Right, or even things that perhaps aren't as far as white nationalism, but might be, um, if we're talking culturally, in some ways the association of patriotism with faith. Yeah, yeah. You know, just having those two things be together is far more of a cultural, I think you're making the distinction, it's far more of a cultural reality versus sort of the theological foundation yeah. that evangelicalism would be based on. And those other churches that you mentioned, whether it's Grace or, you know, some black churches would be in agreement with sort of theologically. Right, once right. you bring the culture in, you start to get right. this separation. And especially this day and age, right? It's like God and country. Yeah. It's like, no, mm. uh, that, that's, that's no longer biblical evangelicalism. Right. That is political and cultural evangelicalism. Right. Now, I'm not going to sit there and say, well, you know, what do you mean by that? I, I, I know what people mean when they say that, saying that evangelical churches is misogynistic and sexist. I totally get that. And, mm. and I, as a cultural, political, social movement, I, I would totally agree mm. because people have confused politics and culture with uh, their faith. Interesting. So the charge often comes from, and so people are turned off by the church, the mm. evangelical church, because the church in general, we have done a poor job of promoting the things that God promotes right. and defending the things that he defends. Right. And it's become a political movement. So what's interesting is that in some ways, you know, when somebody says the someone who's let's say outside of faith or has had sort of the cultural experience of evangelicalism, when they say that the, the, the old Testament is misogynistic in some ways, they're actually seeing the scripture through the filter of the evangelist exactly evangelical church, yes. which as we've said, culturally does have a tendency to be those things. Yeah. A little bit of a catch 22. I mean, in some ways it seems like the first thing that needs to change is that we as a church, yeah. need to begin to, to view the scriptures differently so that we're, as you're sort of saying, providing a, a more accurate representation of who God is and what God values for other people to see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's that's a helpful. It's a helpful sort of framework. So maybe that's just kind of a disclaimer or maybe, maybe even just to see, as we dive back into like Old Testament and things, just to say, acknowledge that there is that reality. Mm-hmm. And some people may be thinking like, why aren't you talking about all this other stuff? Mm. Uh, that That's in, like, like the air we breathe right now. Yeah. But, uh, so we're not ignorant of that. We're not dismissing that. Mm. 
but let's all, you know, at the same time, um, um, let's be sure to distinguish between what you hear a preacher say yeah. on YouTube yeah. versus um, really coming to the Bible uh, as a text, sacred yeah. text. And, and a perfect example, and I, I know so I said we weren't going to revisit old ground that we already walked over, but I think this bears repeating. You said that, for example, one of the, one of the, words that's used to describe a woman in Genesis is helper. Yeah. And we have sort of taken that to mean she is subservient to man. Right. But you said Jesus is actually described as our helper. Yeah, yeah. So a same word, yep. right? So it's really important to, uh, to understand that that is that that word as we've sort of described it and, and owned it is not necessarily accurate based scriptural. So again, yeah. sort of separating a cultural understanding of helper versus the theological understanding of what that word actually meant in, yeah. in the context of the, of the scriptures. Yeah. 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 A- and to say that those who would politicize their faith or even cult, you know, uh, have their faith kind of embedded into the culture, uh, because I, ho- I hear people also say this, they'll say, well, you know, conservatives uh, take the Bible literally. Or read it literally. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, well, I I would even say those con- quote unquote conservatives, God and country, don't read the Bible literally. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, literally is like again, language is a tricky thing. There are so many. The same word has multiple meanings. Yeah. You know, you can you two people can read something literally and come to completely different conclusions. So it's right. not it's not fair to sort of elevate the word literally as like, well, they're doing it and everybody else is sort of new interpreting. It's like, no, yeah. everybody's kind of, we're on, we're on the same ground here, yep, you yep. know? And, and when you say a literal reading of scripture, sometimes that's interpreted as, well, if, if it says the trees are clapping, well, duh, like, how can, uh, you, you know, right, like there's right, right. that literal right. versus uh, like a metaphorical reading of scripture, yeah. uh, uh so, yes, Christians take a literal uh, reading of Scripture in the sense that, like, for example, St. Augustine was one where he he made the whole parable of the Good Samaritan a metaphor. Hmm. So it was like the point of the Good Samaritan isn't compassion for the stranger and all that. It's not. But really, th- that would be the literal reading. Okay. The metaphorical reading would be like, oh, see, you're, you're the you're you're the beggar. Christ is the 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 Samaritan who comes and helps you. Hmm. And and the donkey is the church. Like he, <laughs> I mean, he goes oh, that far. Oh, interesting. Okay. You know? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Th- th- to say you, you ha- you're taking a literal reading doesn't mean everything is literal because you right. have to appreciate the the genre of the text. Right. Right. And Jesus was telling a story. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. it wasn't like he wasn't recording a historical event. He was telling right. a story to make a point. So reading it literally is seeing it as a story with meaning. Right. Right. Yeah. Anyways, I get what you're saying. I don't know where I'm going with all that. Anyways, that's, that's all maybe removing obstacles. So it is. Discussion. And again, like we've said so many times that, you know, that there is, there has to be so much nuance to the way that, that you approach the scripture because it was written for and in a culture that is really different than yeah. ours. And yeah. if you don't bring that in there, um, you know, I guess I would say you could, you could say you're reading it literally when you're including all of those cultural contexts yep. to say like in this culture that w- this word meant X, even mm-hmm. though now when we read that word, we think that it's Y. So anyways, a lot of nuance. I think, I think yeah. it's helpful to keep reminding people of that. And I think that's important because 
Oh man, somebody sent a question. It's a doozy of a question. Oh, I'm gonna, oh, it's going to come up, but let, let's work through. Last time we talked a little bit about how God uh, affirmed women in being made in His image. Mm-hmm. Uh, that man or woman alone cannot complete the re- a reflection of who God is, mm-hmm. and that is just repeated uh, over and over again. Uh, we also talked in uh, Genesis chapter two. Um, what did we say? I don't remember. <laughs> um, was that the part where we were talking oh, about helper? The, the helper, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, how God is con- continually, that the word azer is used primarily of God. Wow. In, in fact, it would say that the word has almost like divine status. That is fascinating. So there That's you go, fascinating. Woman. It is, yeah. Uh, it's not a slave. It's not a servant. It's not a helper. It's not a secretary. It, it is a divine rescuer. Oh, man. That I mean, again, that that changes again. It just changes the reading of that verse so profoundly. <laughs> it does, and and then we came to uh, chapter three, and this is where sometimes uh, um, people have a, a a the reading of chapter three. Let me look it up. Um, it, it it says this is after the fall of Adam and Eve. Okay. And the curse that God pronounces on Adam is, hey, the ground you work on will be cursed. Mm. And then he says to the woman, you will have pain in childbirth. And, and, then his, and then it says, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Okay. So some people read that and say, yep, uh, the husband is the ruler, the mm. king, the master. Hmm. And uh, so how do we navigate that? Because that that does seem like, it it seems like Genesis 3 is really sexist. All right. I'm not sure if this is where you're going to go, but I'll tell you what immediately jumps out at me. Okay. Which is that Jesus came to redeem what went wrong wrong yes. in the garden oh man am i on am i on the right you're, track here yeah man you're you're you jumped to like chapter eight okay <laughs> but no keep going <laughs> well just the fact that like when you read something like that as as in the context of a curse yes like i don't think it's appropriate for the church to be like hey we want to fully embody this curse <laughs> that you know right. um in, in instead of saying what we want to do is see transformation and redemption as a part of god's kingdom coming yes so that was that's the first th- thing that strikes me that you you got good instincts there right well thanks for joining us <laughs> no we're not gonna wrap up i'm sure there's more but uh but i that's a, that even even you saying that th- that it's part of the curse again just puts it in a completely different context yep. so right and, and so the fall because as a re- result of the fall uh like some people think okay this should this is an accepted institution by god mm. that man rules over women no it's a result of the fall man uh, the other thing too is uh um and so we cannot accept the oppression or the subservience or a lower status of women based on this verse mm. um just like uh, you know, the one part of the curse is uh, pain in childbirth. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, we we do all we can to, uh, uh, well, I don't know, redeem, but like if, uh, alleviate. Sure, minimize. The pain. Yeah. Epi- epidurals. Yeah. Right. 
um, pain in farming the land. I would. I mean, that's one of the main things I was thinking about. <laughs> Legitimately, yeah. Uh, you know, our goal is, and Amy and I. That's a little sidetrack. I'm going to say it anyways. Mm-hmm. Y- you preached. Um, uh, a number of months ago, or maybe it was even years, about the concept of shalom, mm-hmm. about it being more than just peace, but yeah. sort of like when there is harmony. Mm-hmm. And Amy and I think about that when we think about our farm, that we want it to be a place where God's redemption, God's shalom is manifest, even in the way that we care for the land. You know, there's all of these fascinating ways that animals and plants and soil and water interact and actually assist each other. And so thinking about this as being the curse, like toil, when when you begin to take advantage of the way that God designed things to work together, that toil is greatly minimized when you're farming. And so I tend to think of that as like that is redeeming this element of the curse, you know, that and there's even ways to think about it. Oh, man, I'll I'll make this brief. Uh, But like, for example, you know, you can run chickens after cattle or hogs in a in a pasture so you the hogs are on it for a couple weeks they eat it down you move them off you move the chickens on what the chickens do is they actually pick apart the feces they eat parasites yeah it is (laughs) they they pick apart feces they they eat the parasites um they eat the maggots and things like that and so the the birds come along and actually greatly reduce your pest population <laughs> you know, you know, I find it fascinating. You look horrified, but my point is merely that there are ways to like chemically control pests or flies, hmm. but you can actually use God's creation in 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 a sense in shalom yeah. to do it for you with yeah. much less effort. And so I think of this, and I'm like, oh yeah, we try to redeem that curse. We're thinking about it all the time. Yeah, We're yeah. thinking about it all the time, and so it would make perfect sense to think about every line of that curse the same way right because genesis 1 and 2 is the ideal that god intended in the garden yeah genesis 3 is not what god intended right and so you sweating uh you know during while you're laboring in the field uh in the new heavens and new earth man you're gonna enjoy it but you won't sweat it my cardiovascular (laughs) like it's gonna be out of this world yeah (laughs) yeah and so i think that's just one way to understand that yeah um, and the other thing too is, uh, now God curses the ground for Adam, gives childbirth pain to Eve and says, your, he, your, your husband will rule, will rule over you. The other thing to note here too, uh, uh, it's a nuance, but, um, God is not talking about women in general here. He's talking to Eve. Mm. So it's not like you can oppress women like for generations and generations. Interesting. Like he he has a very specific thing for Eve, and this is the only the only uh, God doesn't redeem Adam's curse, and he won't until the new heavens and new earth. But the hope and the promise that he gives to Eve is even though you'll have chain, pain in childbirth, and he will rule over you. Uh, in Genesis chapter three verse fifteen, uh, it, it it talks about this. Uh, person who's going to come and crush the head of the serpent while the serpent bites its bites his heel Hmm. basically it's pointing forward to jesus and so in the midst of the curse uh, after the uh, the the curse is kind of pronounced for the the effects of the curse is uh pronounced on eve um linked to that is 
this promise that she will give birth mm. to the uh, one that's hoped for that yeah. will bring redemption yeah. and restoration. And so this is not what God wants. Mm. But in the midst of that, here is the seeds of the hope that is coming. Yeah. Um, so when you look at it that, like you can't say, oh, th- this is God's mandate for man and woman. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, again, I can tell you, I, I grew up in conservative circles, both sort of um, fundam- fundamentalist, sort of like really strict Baptist, and also uh, sort of Pentecostal, which also has its own sort of sense of fundamentalism about it. <laughs> it does. And I can tell you, like, that I have heard this as, like, uh, being taken as, like, oh, man, like, the Bible says that, like, <laughs> the man is to rule over the wife. And uh, I just kind of thought, like, that needs to be navigated. When you read it as a as a curse he pronounced that Jesus came to redeem, it's like, oh. Right. Oh, that, that changed everything. Right, right. Hmm. So here's the question that was asked by a, a listener, and, and, and she had provided a, a verse, which was, um, and this one I, I really had to look up and, and, and try to wrap my head around, but Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 28 and 29. Wow, this, feels, this is like a deep dive. <laughs> Deuteronomy 28, you said. 22. 22. Verse 28 and 29. Do you have that? Can you read that? I'm going to, oh, it's taking me a second. I'm not very good with technology. (laughs) Uh, This one had me stumped for a little while. Okay. What in the world? Oh, is it? Okay. If a man happens to meet a virgin who is not pledged to be married and rapes her and they are discovered, he shall pay her father 50 shekels of silver. He must marry the young woman for he has violated her. He can never divorce her as long as he lives. (laughs) okay so the question is like how can you how can the bible Mm. ever command that if a woman is raped that she should marry her rapist like what kind of misogynistic messed up screwed up command is that right basically it sounds like you're basically condemning her to a life of torture because again the dude can't divorce her and we know (laughs) that culturally the woman can't divorce the man right so Okay. And again, we bring a lot of our contemporary um, examples uh, and scenarios uh, of of rape and things, and and so uh, again, let's understand like this is this is a very very different culture. Okay. And so, who who said this? Um, some like, uh, you know, a little sidetracking. Really, the 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 value of traveling. You know, I love traveling, but traveling mm-hmm. globally and experiencing different cultures yeah. is that you quickly lose a sense of like, oh, my culture is superior. Right. Like I, is ours no, is right. Right. It's not. It's not. Right. Or like, oh, God loves our country more than others. Right. <laughs> like, right. You, right. Like the old school missionaries yeah, that basically yeah. were coming and trying to like Americanize, well, or, you know. More than evangelize, they were trying to bring a cultural reality. Yes. And, and if you've visited any number of different countries, you will always have this experience like, what? Like, mm. I don't get this at all. And at the end of the day, you're like, okay, that that's fine, right? Uh, this one requires a little leap of imagination because we we cannot even imagine this kind of culture right? A, a, as we kind of talk through this verse. So... 
don't be quick to dismiss and say, well, that's just screwed up anyways, right? Because again, we're going to see in a lot of ways, especially in a couple of episodes when we talk about what feels like genocide and all sorts of other violence. But, um, so some cultural background there, an unmarried, uh, rape victim, uh, they, they would not only have to deal with the trauma of the violent act itself, and again, it says she was a virgin, but because of her shame back then, this is very different today, one, she would be unable to marry uh, anybody else, mm. and, a rape, and because of that, a rape victim would end up being impoverished because back then women really didn't support themselves. Yeah. And so if you were a widow and, and you read this in like Naomi and Ruth, like you were, you were left destitute yeah. for life. You yep. had no means of supporting yourself. And so as crazy as it sounds, this command is actually to uh, ensure that women weren't left to a life of destitution and poverty. Mm. It was actually a command to protect women of being taken advantage of mm-hmm. now admittedly it's still there's still like all sorts of questions that pop up yeah. right like what in the yeah. world you know like we often think of rape today like oh you know uh, on college campuses you know mm-hmm. put it in your drink i don't know what it was like back then mm. but um uh what what this so this appears to be really sexist when in fact the intent is to protect, is to correct a problem in a very sexist world. Yeah. Because if a man did rape a, a, a virgin girl, uh, and again, unlike today, no other man would marry her. Mm-hmm. She have, would have no way of supporting herself. Yeah. And this is why the command of the man, like you, you cannot, you are forbidden to divorce her. Yeah. So even then too, like uh, just uh, just come with us here a little bit. Like if you knew, and maybe this doesn't work. I, I'm just processing this externally. Like if that if that was if you knew that that was part of the the consequence. Mm. Maybe this is reasoning isn't good, but um, like, um, you know, because rape this day and age. So many people get away with it. Yeah, like I, I don't even remember the percentages, but it's so crazy. Yeah. Not only, not only do uh, do people not report it, mm. but even if you report it, the the likelihood of them being um, charged sure. charged yeah. is just so low. Yeah. Um. So, so if you understood that this was this would be part of the quote unquote consequence uh, of your actions, uh, maybe. And I'm just asking, maybe that was put, because that was so much part of their culture that it be, it kind of acted as a maybe as a deterrent, right? And maybe it was elevating sort of the the um, the responsibility, yeah, and the seriousness of the crime, which yeah. may not have been. There's a couple other things in this passage that I find to be really interesting because if you look up f- uh, further in the verses, they actually talk a lot about different scenarios where a man. Um, and a woman are either sleeping together or, or yeah. where a man is, is raping a woman. Here's what's interesting. Um, in both of these, there's another example, just a couple verses where if, if out in the country a man happens to meet a young woman pledged to be married and rapes her, the man has to die. Mm-hmm. Um, the woman has committed no sin. And then he also yeah. said, in these instances of rape, here's one of the things that I find interesting, is that it, it requires 
taking the woman's word for it. Mm. Which, if so if a rape occurs out in the country, I mean... No witnesses. No witnesses. That's exactly the point. The exact scenario is there are no witnesses. Um, so, and again, if we talk culturally... Women weren't uh, women weren't allowed to testify in court. Like right. their word held no weight, and so suddenly you have this command where God is saying, in some ways, the the opinion of this woman matters, and her version of events is something that you will actually base justice on. And that didn't really happen in the culture in other places. No, you know that's really that's another way to look at it. It's another nuance. Um, where God is in some ways elevating the status of women in a culture where, where it was they were often depressed. Yeah, and, and in that day and age, the the law was that if a woman was raped, um, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm getting this right, the man was set free and the woman was executed. Mm. Um, and, and so... Th- Again, in contrast to culture, right? It's a the profound, man dies. Right, yeah. it's a profound difference. It is. Um, it would have been very revolutionary. Hmm. Yeah. So, like, does does that make all the the issues and questions go away? <laughs> no. Yeah. But it helps us to get maybe outside of our own cultural lens, right? A little bit, and, and just say, okay, maybe before I come to quick judgment about what this says. Given that it's written thousands of years ago, halfway across the world, mm-hmm. um, and the other thing I will say too is, it, it required a lot of study and research from me, mm-hmm. uh, somebody who's constantly trying to study the scripture yeah. as part of my responsibility and my, my job. So these aren't easy answers. No. No, there's really not. No, they're not. So people often think like, oh, you're a pastor. You, you must know the answer to all these things. I'm like, no. Yeah. Like I'm constantly wrestling and struggling. We constantly are. And, and we're on a journey just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Now, we, we may have tools, um, references, resources to, to, I mean, we all do, especially in this day and age, information age. But um, so uh, j- just as an encouragement to say, like as as this person said, hey, th- this command seems really messed up. Yeah. Um, ask us those questions because these yeah. are really good questions, and these are things that I have, I have not wrestled with, or I'm still wrestling with. Yeah. And I, I think it's good to just be on this journey together. Yeah, and I think I think one of the ways to look at it is to understand that the fact that there needed to be a law like this is messed up. Right. Like right. the reason that they had to come up with these laws is because men were raping women. And that is not in any scenario in any culture appropriate or OK at all. Yeah. And uh, and in some ways, this was God trying to s- solve um, an, an issue that was awful. I mean, yep. it's awful. Yep. Um, and while we might not understand sort of the 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 correction that God applied, in the context of that culture, it was pretty revolutionary. Yeah. And, and obviously God condemns rape yeah. uh, all through scripture. Yeah. And it is something he hates and he knows, uh, and he tells us it's not what he intended. Mm-hmm. You know, one, one last thing I will say too, as it relates to women too, uh, when you read through, the, especially the old Testament, more times than not, women are portrayed as, um, if I could say it this way, saintly and godly more so than like, bad hmm. whereas men <laughs> it's the reverse oh man yeah <laughs> I mean, there's depravity all over the place all of the, and 
one of the the most um, like, and, and there are women leaders all through uh, the Old Testament. One, for, for example, is Deborah. She was a judge, mm-hmm. and as a judge, uh, she was. Uh, her story is in Judge chapter four. It, it's she was like not only she was like the president mm. um, and the pope. She was not only a political leader; she was also a spiritual leader. Wow! So when you look at somebody like Deborah, so all, all you moms who name their girls Deborah, like man, what? Po- yeah, <laughs> yeah, watch out! What a name! She's gonna be a, a mover and a shaker. Yeah, and so, and not only that, but um, you see the role of women like uh, David's wife, Abigail, consult- giving him wisdom and consulting. Mm-hmm. You have people like Esther and Ruth and all these other people who are elevated into, uh, uh, and people like Deborah especially, elevated into um, into leadership roles. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, if the church wants to continue to restore and redeem God's story, uh, what... Oh, yeah, like that. That's a question we need to ask ourselves. Mm-hmm. What yeah. is the role of women in the church, in society? Um, you know, especially when. And I come. I come from a conservative Presbyterian background too, where uh, yeah, they would say, "Yep, yeah, women aren't allowed to lead." I, I always find it funny that uh, those same denominations will send a woman overseas and let them pastor a church, mm. plant really? a church, and lead and teach. Teach. Like as a missionary, yeah, as a missionary, right? And, and it's all about like the oh, language geez. you use. And yeah, I, I have friends who who would say too, like, "Sung, yeah, women aren't allowed to be pastors." And then uh, this one guy in particular, Scott, we we constantly debate with each other. Um, and and um, so if they have, um, so he'll he'll say, um, if a woman is a youth pastor, well, you call them a youth director. Mm. Um, and, uh, um, because she's a woman. Right. But that's just a title. I mean, <laughs> I know, right. Like it, like the, like she's, is it the title that's the problem or is it, or, or do you have an issue with someone with a woman doing the role of, of pastoring people? Yeah, yeah. Cause it seems like you shouldn't, it seems like separating them, those two things is splitting hairs a little it, bit. It is. And that's what I find, especially in that camp is, you become really legalistic, full of rules, and there's a lot of uh, lack of integrity mm. that doesn't that isn't consistent across the board. Mm. So, um, well, you know, she she can't teach in the sanctuary, but she could teach right kids in Sunday school or right. or, or even teach a Sunday school class because it's not the pulpit. Mm. Um, so, again, not to throw any stones at my Presbyterian friends, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think again, you know, you just have to acknowledge how nuanced this all becomes yeah. and there isn't a, a cut and dry sort of like, yeah, c- cultural, I mean, there's this cultural nuance. I mean, all those things that have to be taken into account. But the thing that we, I feel like we have demonstrated is that God was absolutely, absolutely from the very beginning elevating the position of women mm-hmm. in in especially in a culture where they had no power and no authority. Yep. Um, that's that's really interesting to read through that lens. So thanks for that uh, question that pretty much stumped me. It's a good one, man. <laughs> it it's is. a good one. Yeah. So if you have any other questions that we could talk about in the future episodes, 734-709-5742, text me and uh, we'll try to get to your questions.
All right. Thanks so much for joining us, Sung. What is our next topic? And there's a charge that God is um, is racist. Okay. Oh, my God. These are getting easier and easier. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, well, we're going to tackle that one next. Hope you join us again next week for another episode of Rhythms of Grace. Until then, have yourselves a fantastic week.